How are you out there tonight? Amen. Well, we're in Matthew 13. So uh, let's get there tonight. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16. God willing, we get through that. Looking about parable of the sower we looked at. Now we're going to see why Jesus spoke in parables. Soon we'll be on to the kingdom parables that you've been hearing about. Hopefully next week, God willing, and the creek don't rise, we finally got some rain. Amen. I walked out on the lawn and I said, what is this? It's been so long. But it goes to show you, you know, what we take for granted, how the Lord just takes care of every season, what we need. And until we don't get it, we don't realize how important it is. Amen. But with a praise report, I want to say I haven't had mowed my grass much this summer, and I'm happy about that. Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. Uh, let's thank God for the word and let us jump in. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you that we could come in the middle of the week and worship together and experience your presence. Thank you for the worship team, for the powerful worship, Lord, and for the anointing that's here all the time, Lord. Uh, just like the rain, we don't want to take that for granted, Lord. We want to be thankful. Uh, not waiting for the drought to be thankful, but thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship and hear the word. So open up our hearts tonight. And plow up that fallow ground in us. Break it up and let there be good ground for the seed to hit. And Father, let, let the truth of your word go into us and never come out. An eternal reservoir of your word in us as you sow it into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you in advance in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. And the disciples came up and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But to whomever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you shall keep on listening, but you shall not understand, and you shall keep on looking, but you shall not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. A powerful portion of Scripture here is Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah that fits to that generation. But if you were listening with your heart, you know what Isaiah said fits to our generation as well. And in verse 10, we start with Jesus explaining why he speaks to the crowds in parables. He used this literary form called a parable. Now, remember, we defined what a parable was in its most simplistic understanding of a parable is that it's a simple, relatable story used to convey a deeper spiritual meaning or moral lesson. 
And that's what Jesus did. He used simple stories that everyone could relate to. Uh, it was an agrarian society. They planted seeds. They had cattle. They understood everything he was talking about when he talked about the seed and the sower. Jesus uses this simple, relatable story. But it's not just a story about a man sowing seed, no. He's showing that there's a deeper spiritual meanings here. And he gives that to them in the form of a parable so they can chew on it and think about it. And if they meditated on it enough or, or listened long enough, uh, maybe something would come alive to them if they would push past the casual and seek him with their whole hearts. Now, the power of a parable is that the listener can easily understand and instantly relate. But without the Holy Spirit, we really can't understand the deep spiritual meaning. How many remember before you came to Christ, some things in the scripture or some things that preachers said just didn't make sense at all? I mean, some of it was weird, the blood of Jesus. Why are we talking about blood in church? You know, or, you know, just things that Jesus said to do. Uh, it didn't make sense. But once we become born again and saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, the truth of the word is illuminated to us and it leaps off the pages and it makes sense. So parables are what he used to speak to the multitudes. Now, in verses 10 through 11, Jesus' Jesus's disciples do something that all disciples do. They asked why. And, and they say, why do you speak to them in parables? They, they flat out ask him, and he flat out tells them. How many realize that's a good exchange? Sometimes you've got to ask why. You ever been around somebody or doing something or sitting in a classroom, and you didn't have a clue what was going on, but you didn't dare want to ask why? You know, and teachers would tell you that there's no such thing as a stupid question, but in the break room, they're saying, you can't believe what they asked me today. So these guys do what all disciples should do. They ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he tells them uh, an answer that by today's standards would be scandalous because it's not inclusive. Listen to Jesus being not inclusive. And the disciples said to him, why do you speak in parables? Verse 11, he answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, Jesus, you need to take a class on political correctness. You're not inclusive. You're not giving everybody, you know, everything the same way. You're actually differentiating between people who seek you with their whole heart and people who are just there casually for the show. You, you know, that's not very inclusive. And you know what? It's not. But it's exactly what is going on here. And it's exactly what still goes on today. We reap what we sow. If we seek with all our heart, we're going to find him. If we're casual, if we're laid back, if we don't care, if we, you know, God's not going to just show us these things unless we get serious and dig into the word and push aside all the distractions and time wasters, amen? Oh, some people are shouting tonight. So he says to you and he says to them, it's almost like an us and them, and it's something that's not very inclusive, and it would tick a lot of people off in our generation. The first thing I want you to know and point out is that the disciples asked Jesus a very good question. And if you have questions for the Lord, like we all do, I say if, but all of us have questions. If you have questions for the Lord, by all means, ask him. You might have stuff on your heart right now, and, you, and you've been thinking about it. You've been asking other people about it. You, you, you got books, and you went to the self-help section, and you're reading about it. But you haven't asked the Lord about it. And the Bible says 
that when we need wisdom, we ask God for it and he gives it to us liberally. And that we, you know, we don't ask questions and we don't get the Lord's clarification on things. And that's just silly. We have not because we ask not. You know, some people think, well, I don't want to ask Jesus something that's, you know, and, and maybe it's none of my business and maybe I, I, maybe I can't know. Listen, if it's none of our business, Jesus will let us know. You know, you can't ask him a question that, you know, he, you're going to twist his arm to answer it. Listen to this, Acts 1, 6 through 7. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? So here's his disciples. They're doing what disciples do. They're asking a question. They want to know, when is the kingdom of Israel going to be restored? Basically, let me break it down for you. Jesus, when are you going to kick these Romans out of here and, and get your people out of bondage and establish Israel once again? Here's Jesus' very tender politically correct answer but he said to them it is not for you to know the periods or the times appointed which the father has set under his own authority and in other words he said none your business jesus is a big boy if we ask a question that we you know we can't handle the answer to he just will say nothing or no or you know give us something else but we've got to ask questions and we've got to bring the questions of our heart to the Lord. The disciples wanted to know about parables. Jesus is going to tell them about parables. If they, in, in Acts, they asked a question that was none of their business, and Jesus basically told them, none of your business. The Father's business. Just do what is important for you to do. So let me say something. Leaders who won't answer questions or intimidate or humiliate those who ask questions are bad leaders. If you are under someone, if you work for someone, if you're in a spiritual situation with a, a spiritual leader and you can't ask them questions, you need to shake the dust off your feet and get out of there. If it's in the workplace, you need to probably look for another job. If you're, if you're under somebody who is beyond questioning, that's a bad situation. A leader who won't answer questions is just flat out a bad leader and shouldn't be followed. Unfortunately, People like this who think they're above questioning, who don't think they have to explain themselves to their underlings, they find their ways into positions of authority all throughout our culture. They find themselves in positions of authority in the community, in the business world, in the government, and even in the church. And it's just bad leadership. Many of us have had bosses like this. Uh, you know, they're toxic. They destroy the morale of their own businesses. They're almost certainly insecure people trying to cover up their shortcomings by refusing to be approachable and transparent. We shouldn't be that way. If we find ourselves in positions of leadership, we should be approachable and transparent and answer questions. With our children, we should be approachable and transparent and answer questions. Little Johnny comes and you say, you know, bah, 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 and you say, because I said so. That's the worst thing you could ever say. Because I said so. Well, how about a little explanation? Well, I don't have to explain myself to them. Look, they're small. But you're, you're teaching them something that when, when, when they're in a position to be questioned, that they don't want to answer either. So be approachable, be transparent, be like Jesus. And where you find yourself in positions of leadership, be a good leader. Now, Jesus was the best example of a leader. 
and he, and he answered all of his disciples' questions. And sometimes they were, you know, they were ridiculous questions. And we see now in hindsight that, you know, Peter said all kinds of things. The only time Peter took his foot out of his mouth was to put the other foot in. Peter was always saying something. Oh, and one time Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, Jesus is going to answer you. Uh, sometimes the answer might sting a little. But understand, good leaders answer questions. And, you know, sometimes God's just waiting for us to ask him what he knows is on our heart. Some of us here tonight have stuff on our heart that we're wrestling with. And God in heaven, your loving heavenly father, is just waiting for you to come to him and ask. Why? So he can reveal himself to you. So the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven can be revealed to you because you're one of his children. And look what it says here. To you, uh, these things have been revealed, but not to them. We're the king's kids. We have access by Jesus Christ. We've got to ask the questions that the father is wanting to answer. Now, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven here in his response in verse 11. And we're going to talk about that uh, a bit in our next session. We're going to define what the kingdom of heaven is. We're going to talk about the seven kingdom parables that are in Matthew 13. But kind of just going to gloss over it a little bit tonight. Uh, but Jesus does mention it. He says, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that's a mention that's worth exploring there. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is something we need to understand. Because whether we know it or not, if we're born again, we're in it. You're not of this world. You're in this world. You're part of a different kingdom. Amen. We're just passing through. We're just on our way through this world. But our final destination is a heavenly kingdom. Amen. And God wants to reveal the kingdom to us now. To you, it has been granted. To them, it has not been granted. The way Jesus interacts with the two groups here. Uh, is seen and determined by the differences in their pursuit of him. The disciples had left everything to follow him. That's commitment. Amen? Anybody committed to Jesus, you've left everything. You've left your old ways, your old nature, your old friends, your old habits, your old drug abuse, your own alcoholism, your old sexual immorality. We left it, amen, to follow Jesus. And some of you are not saying anything and you're making me nervous. <laughs> but when we come out of the world and we come into the kingdom, we leave some things behind. Now, the disciples had left everything to follow him. At one point, they're going to remind him of that. But the multitudes were just the opposite. They were just there to check him out. They were just there for the show. They were just there because there was nothing else to do. Oh, Jesus is in town. You want to catch the show? Maybe he'll do a miracle. Maybe he'll feed us. I heard this guy passes out bread. So you see the difference in pursuit? That means everything. The way we pursue God, if we do it with a right heart and with, you know, with an abandonment of the old past nature, uh, God wants to reveal himself to those who have relationship with him. And he's going to treat these two groups very different. Uh, we should be very sure that even if we're sitting in church calling ourselves Christians, we've got to be very sure that we're following Jesus. We've got to be very sure that we're sold out disciples of him, not just seekers, not just fans, not just, you know, denominational people. I'm this denomination, I'm, that, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm uh, Baptocostal. You know, there's a whole bunch of them. And you can pick one. But listen, 
the only thing that saves us is a relationship with Christ. So we've got to make sure we're following him and we're not just, you know, a, a part of the multitudes as a fan of his, just watching what Jesus will do. What an amazing blessing it is when God chooses to reveal himself to us. What an amazing blessing it was. Uh, here are the disciples. You know, they've been through a lot. They're going to go through a whole lot more. But Jesus is basically saying to them, you're special because you've sold out and you've abandoned everything in the past and you've followed me. And so because you followed me and you have relationship with me and you're committed to me, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to reveal the things of the kingdom to you. Powerful, Amen. If the Holy Spirit is revealing things to you, if the word of God is opening up for you, if when you're in church, it just seems like the message was custom tailored to you and it's hitting all the things you've been through in the week and God's answering the questions of your heart, be thankful, amen, that God is revealing himself to you. Powerful. Not just a fan of his, but a disciple. Verse 12 is a tough verse. Verse 11 was not politically correct. It was not inclusive. And verse 12 is going to even be tougher, so you might want to hold on to the person next to you or, you know, fasten your chin strap on your helmet. But here goes. It says, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But to whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Ouch. Apparently, Jesus isn't voting for Bernie Sanders. He's... (laughs) He's not a socialist. He's not into spreading the wealth around. No, he's like, if you got it and you seek me, you're going to prosper and you're going to have an abundance. But if you you have it and you don't seek me and you do your own thing, you're going to lose even what you have. See, these are kingdom principles here. They clash with earthly principles. People, People in our generation want everything they never worked for. And it's part of our culture now. We demand it. But, but let me tell you, no matter what our culture dictates and no matter what we feel we're entitled to, God will never change the principles of sowing and reaping that are part of the kingdom of God. We will reap what we sow. If we don't sow it, listen, there are things that we don't sow, and by his grace we reap. You know, and, but we can't, we can't pound our fist and shake it at heaven and say, God, you owe me this and that. Hmm. There's no entitlement there. And what, what, what he says here is, is powerful and it's abrasive. So many people in our world expect to reap things they've refused to sow. Uh, the kingdom will never work that way. Thank God for his grace, though, that salvation is a free gift. You know where I did reap where I didn't sow? In the area of salvation. Because I didn't earn that. I don't deserve it. I, did, I can't work the debt off. Listen, it's a free gift, amen. Thank God for grace. Grace is a powerful thing. Salvation's a free gift. It's an act of mercy. And God's mercy is new every morning. But in all other respects, it's a spiritual law that will reap what we sow. Being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ leads a person to become blessed. Look what it says here. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. Uh, How many like lack? No dumb people here tonight. (laughs) There's always one in every crowd. Yeah, I like to just have enough just to barely get by. No, none of us like lack. We like abundance, amen? The other morning I got up, I opened the coffee thing, and there was not even enough coffee to make one cup. 
Help me, Jesus. It's lack. What, what are you saying out there? I can't hear. I'm getting old. My miracle ear ain't working tonight. But, you know, lack is not something we like. Abundance is what we would rather have. Now, let me just say something about this. You know, if we seek God and we, we leave behind the past things and we sell out and we, and we follow him as a disciple, eventually we're going to have abundance. And that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. You know, a, abundance uh, can be a double-edged sword. More shall be given, and he will have an abundance. Now, abundance is good, but it's also dangerous because it comes with responsibility. When we have abundance, it's as a result of following Jesus and being obedient and reaping the rewards of faithfulness and its grace, but it's not just a heap upon ourselves. When we, when we have an abundance, we're supposed to share the overflow of it with others. The problem with us is the more we get, the more we want to keep, and we get all we can, and we can all we get, and then we sit on the can. <laughs> you, you can't do that. you got to share with other people. You know, the Scripture says if you have an extra cloak, give it to somebody. You know, if, some, if your brother or sister are lacking, you know, we, our Western ideology, we've gotten away from this. We ignore this part of the Bible, the sharing part. We like the abundance part. But abundance can be dangerous because then we can get greedy and we can get more fixated on what we have than who gave it to us. We've all seen the ill effects of what has become known as the prosperity gospel, where churches and pastors and teachers will just teach about, you know, abundance and material possessions and blessings and health and all this stuff. Look, God wants us to have all those things. He wants us to be blessed. God's blessed me with stuff sometimes that he gives me and people give me and it just comes and, and I look at, at some of the stuff I have and I'm embarrassed at how much he's blessed me. I try to sell it. I try to put it listed on eBay, make it go away and more stuff comes. <laughs> that's, that's just God's goodness, amen. Now understand something. You know, when this prosperity comes and the blessing comes and, you know, and all this health, and that's all good, but we can't focus on that disproportionately. And that's been the problem with the prosperity gospel. People get so fixated on the blessings, they forget the blesser. <laughs> and it's all about him. The minute we take our eyes off of him, he's got to come discipline us. Then we suffer loss, and then we experience lack, and hopefully we catch some humility so he can bless us again. Always remember, the kingdom of God will prosper us, but our prosperity should never exceed our genuine spirituality. John put it like this in 3 John 1, 2. He said this, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, listen, just as your soul prospers. Did you hear that? There's... The caveat, there's the, the balancing point. We're to prosper, but as our souls prosper. We shouldn't be so materialistically prosperous and spiritually immature at the same time. That's a recipe for trouble. So we've got to prosper as our souls prosper. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to get real spiritual so I can have lots of money. Cut that out. That's not how that works. Amen? You know, sometimes we get this idea, well, you know, uh, I, 
I'll seek the Lord and, you know, make him number one in my life and all the blessings will come. You know, that, the blessing is gaining Christ. The blessing is having intimacy with Jesus. If it, the idea is like so I can get some stuff, that's the wrong motive, you know. And, and we're never going to get through the veil like that. There's been times in my life where, you know, um, I'm seeking the Lord and, and I don't want anything but more of the Lord. Oh, you know, I've been, you know, I've been faithful, Lord. How about a new car? How about a new this? No, I don't care about. I just want more of the Lord, amen. And, that, and that's the heart we got to get. Look at he says, but whoever does not have, here's the other side of the coin, and it's, it's a little harsh. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Sadly, the rejection of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ or of Jesus as Lord in a person's life will cause them to suffer one loss after another. What's God saying here? Every one of us has been blessed with the capacity to, to pursue God and experience his goodness and to receive the free gift of salvation. Everyone born has that ability. And that's how we've all been given something. Some of us will forsake this world and chase Jesus with all our hearts and be blessed. And some people are saying, no, I'm going to live and have fun and do my own thing. I don't care about this. I don't care about the church. I don't care about others. I'm just going to have fun while I'm here. And in finding our lives, we lose them. And we lose the little that we had. The little that we have was the capacity to get saved and to experience the presence and the goodness of God, but we forsook that. So that's part of what's being expressed here is that the, the, even what little they have shall be taken away. There'll be people who are in a, an eternity without Christ forever who have the potential to be saved but didn't want anything to do with Jesus and squandered what they had. So for eternity, what they had is gone. Wow. It's a sad thing. When we squander the, the little opportunities that we have and we reject the Lord and we do our own thing, we suffer one loss after another. You know, maybe before you were saved or maybe when you were at a time, maybe you were backsliding, and you weren't serving God or whatever. You know, there's all, all of us have strings of losses. You ever just like, everything's going wrong? Anybody besides me? You know, and then you look at yourself and you're like, where's my heart at? Where's my, you know, where's my relationship with God at? But those string of losses, the one loss after another, and out of the frying pan and into the fire, there's a purpose to that. Those are the divine speed bumps that God puts in our way when we're going the wrong way. Those are the divine speed bumps God puts in the way of people's lives as they're churning towards the, the precipice, going over the cliff into eternity without Christ. Speed bump after speed bump. They are the mercy of God because God in his goodness and in his righteousness doesn't just bless a person and make everything go smoothly for them when they're on their way to hell. Would that be good? Would that be kind? No, I mean, if I'm going in the wrong direction, light me up, God. Trip me up, knock me down, make me feel it, kept my attention. Amen? <laughs> some, of us, some of us, it takes a lot to get our attention, you know? You know, it's like there was a, a farmer, and he was pulling on a mule, and the mule wouldn't move, and he's pulling, he's pulling. Another farmer walked up to the mule, he took a fence post, and he slammed him on the head. And all of a sudden, the mule just moved. He said, what did you do? He said, you got to get his attention quiet 
Because some of us have been hit with the fence post. Amen. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. I hope you're thankful for it too, amen. Because I don't want just God to bless me and make everything smooth if I'm going in the wrong direction. So this whatever, you know, they have shall be taken away. And it's a sobering thing and it should break our hearts because everyone who draws breath has the potential to be saved. The devil hates that and he distracts them and deceives them and, and, and chains them up with addiction and all kinds of things to get them to waste that potential. So even that potential is taken away. So verse 13 continues and explains the true spiritual condition of a lost generation. And it's not pretty. Listen to verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. So he's kind of giving out these little stories they can relate, but the, 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 the spiritual meaning is hidden there. It's not plain. Because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus is explaining to his disciples the, the spiritual condition of the multitudes. It's not pretty, but it applies universally to all those in every generation who reject the kingdom of God and serve the kingdom of this world. He said, therefore, I speak to them in parables. So he said, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding it there. I'm making them dig for it. I, I'm, I'm making them work for it. Why? Because their hearts are not right, and they're really not seeking me, and they're, they're here with the wrong motives. So I'm not just going to expose the deep truths of the kingdom to people who are indifferent to them. And that's why we have churches that, you know, they, they, they do something there, but the Holy Ghost don't move and people don't get saved and nobody gets delivered and the word of God doesn't get preached. I don't know what they talk about, but, you know, some of us have been to churches like that. I sat there for half of my life when I was a young person and wasn't getting anything out of it. A form of godliness but denies the power thereof. Because the gospel is powerful. It has the power to change sinners into saints. It has the power to set captives free. It has the power to convict us and to, and, uh, to, to in, invoke change in our lives. Thank you, Lord. So I speak to them in parables because they don't see and they don't hear and they don't understand. Uh, parables served as a veil or a cloak over the precious truths and principles of the kingdom. And those precious truths and principles were only for those who were committed and who appreciated it. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 6, 7, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Did you hear that? He's saying, don't just expose the deep truths of the kingdom to people who don't want to hear it, who are mockers, who are, you know, just, you know, arrogant. No, don't cast, you know, your pearls before swine. Don't give what's unholy to dogs. I would have said cats, but it's up to Jesus, you know. <laughs> dogs are awesome. But, you know, we're getting the point here that Jesus is saying not everything is for everybody. And there again, that grates against our culture and our sense of entitlement. Well, we should get, everybody should treat it the same, whether they love Jesus or not. You can fight with him. I'm in, uh, I'm in sales. He's in management there. I, I, I'm just, this is what, I, I know. But the parable's veiled and cloaked, and he's saying, you know, 
Don't give what is holy to the dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine because these precious truths of the kingdom are for those who are really hungry and thirsty for them. The revelation and the illumination of deep spiritual truths is for those with the right heart who are sold out to Jesus and who are actively pursuing the kingdom. And you know what? That should be all of us here tonight. That should be all of us here tonight. But there are times as Christians, there are times as seasoned believers that we don't have the right heart or we're not sold out or distracted or we're pursuing everything else but the kingdom. Can we just be real? I know it's not Sunday, but on Wednesday night can be real too. You know, sometimes our heart's not right. Sometimes we're not sold out. Sometimes we're doing everything, but we're not in the word. We're not in prayer. We're not hungry for a move of God. That's when we've got to repent. Why? Because the illumination and the revelation dries up. God's not going to force it on us. He's not going to tackle you and drag you into the prayer closet and open the Bible up for you and stick your face in it. That's not the way it works. We've got to pursue him. We've got to be sold out. We've got to have the right heart. And when we don't, we have to just take our time to get that back. Look at the sad spiritual state that all of us were in before Jesus saved us. We couldn't see, we couldn't hear, and we couldn't understand. Can we say amen to that? We couldn't see spiritual truth. We couldn't hear the meat of the word because it just didn't make sense to us. We didn't understand what, what all of this kingdom stuff and salvation stuff and born again, it all sounded weird. We couldn't see, we couldn't hear, we couldn't understand. That's the condition that we were in. Why were we like that? Because the fact is we were spiritually dead. We are created in God's image. We are trichotomous beings. That's a fancy word for meaning we have three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit created in his image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we're born in sin, our bodies are alive and our souls, our mind, will, and emotion, our spirit is alive, but our soul is alive, but our spirit is dormant until we're born again. So the reason we couldn't see and we couldn't hear and we couldn't understand is because the part of us that would interface with God so that those things could happen was dormant. In the theological terminology, we needed to be regenerated. We needed to have that dead spirit in us brought back to life so that it could connect and commune with God so then we could see and we could hear and we could understand. Regenerated. We, need to, we needed to be, as Jesus said in John 3, born again. He said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Nicodemus said, can I go into my mother's womb again? I'm a grown man. Jesus explained it to him, no, you, you have to be born again. You were born uh, a natural birth. You need to be born of water and the spirit. When we're in our mother's womb, we're floating in amniotic fluid. That's water. We're born through a natural birth through a woman. We are born of water, but we're still spiritually dormant until we're born again. And then our spirit comes alive and it's regenerated and we can connect with God through Jesus Christ. Come on tonight. Jesus said we had to be born again. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. He said, and you were dead in your offenses and sins. Dormant, dead. Body was alive. 
soul was functioning, mind, will, and emotions going, but the spirit was dead. You were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we by nature were children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Wow. Powerful stuff right there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. I encourage you to write that down, read it, and meditate it on it. It gives a great picture of man's condition before he comes to Christ. It gives a great picture of what Jesus is talking about here, about spiritually unregenerated people and how they can't see and they can't hear and they can't understand. And so I'm using parables because until they get serious and seeking me and get right with me, I can't show them the deep truths of the kingdom. Mm. Verses 14 and 15 close out the section we're covering tonight with Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah Realize Jesus quoted the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets a lot. As New Testament Christians, the Old Testament is powerfully important to us. I don't ever want to hear anyone say, oh, that's Old Testament. It's not for us. That's exactly wrong. The Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. Jesus says not one jot or tittle, one mark of punctuation will pass away. I didn't come to destroy the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but to fulfill it. We learn so much from the Old Testament, and here Jesus quotes it, and it applies perfectly to our generation right now, thousands and thousands of years later. Listen to what he says. You shall keep on listening, but you shall not understand, and you shall keep on looking, but you shall not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. In many ways, Jesus is talking about apostate Israel here, but it also applies to the church, and it also applies to the world around us. All of us need to wake up spiritually so that we can see who Jesus is and so that we can commune with him and so that we can be part of the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. That's enough for tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this scripture that we're enjoying together. And Father, all of the deep truths that are in here, I pray that they would encourage us. What a privilege it is for us to be here and to be your children and to be saved by uh, the free gift of salvation. What, what an amazing blessing it is to have eyes that see and ears that hear and spirits that understand the deep things of the kingdom. Father, help us not to take that for granted, not for one minute. And Father, help us to have a crushing burden for every person around us that doesn't know you yet. That, Father, we would not be busy doing our own thing, but we'd, be, we'd get ourselves busy doing kingdom things, of living the gospel, of preaching the gospel, of sharing the gospel with people who are just waiting for someone to tell them the truth in this dark, confused world. I pray that 
you would give us divine appointments, Lord, in, in the week ahead, that we would be able to uh, share the truth and watch the light go on for someone else and watch you do amazing things in their lives. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.